Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. This is your weekly podcast, delivering you the insight, ideas, and inspiration to successfully change and transform in our ever-evolving world of retail. Enjoy listening. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. I'm your host, Oliver Banks. I'm a consultant and I work with senior retail leaders to help transform businesses and operating models. I'm honored to be one of the most influential voices in retail as a LinkedIn top voice and one of Rethink Retail's top retail influencers across the entire world. I'm here to help advise you and your company to navigate disruption and transformation and deliver successful and meaningful change in this ever-evolving world of retail. I appreciate you tuning in to today's episode. This one is episode 268, number 268. Now, of course, it won't surprise you that sustainability has crept up the agenda hugely in recent years. And in particular, the circular economy and understanding the different waste streams and recycling streams is really important to get a grasp of as an industry, as a company and as an individual. So I'm really excited about today's episode where I'm talking to Alice Rackley, CEO of Polytag, an innovative recycling technology company that's recently taken a number of different prestigious awards across the industry, including a UK packaging award and the gold award from the grocer for pioneering a new approach to recycling. Alice comes with rich experience from Waitrose, M&S and Deloitte, where over the past 15 years, she's been focused on developing digital solutions for the retail industry and for customers. And now she is turning her attention to the recycling industry, which is ripe for disruption and full of never seen before data. And it's this data that is often lacking, which intentionally or unintentionally can lead to some of the downsides of sustainability, things like greenwashing that we know are not right. (laughs) And we don't want to be doing this, but sometimes we do lack the data and the insight and frankly, the truth. So I'm really excited to catch up with Alice. I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. It's particularly focused on the grocery industry. But as you start to think about waste streams across all other categories, there are huge insights here. You can find out more about Alice and about Polytag on the show notes today at obandco.uk slash 268. That's obandco.uk slash 268. And there on the show notes page, you're also going to find some suggested episodes to listen to next, as well as the opportunity to subscribe for free to the Retail Transformation Briefing, my weekly email newsletter packed full of insights, ideas and inspiration to help you transform better. Sign up right now at obandco.uk slash 268. And it's time to jump in to today's conversation with Alice Rackley. Enjoy listening. Well, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Alice Rackley today. Alice, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Oliver. Good to see you. Absolutely fantastic to to catch up. 
and yeah a warm welcome to the podcast we're going to be diving into a huge topic and some of the really innovative work that you are leading through the industry right now but i suppose alice i'd like to start right at the top you know sustainability caught the world's attention a few years ago now with people like greta thunberg and tv shows like blue planet for example but then of course 2020 happened and we we went into the COVID pandemic, cost of living crisis. We all know the story, but it feels like perhaps sustainability has slightly fallen off the agenda. Are we continuing to see positive gains in this area or or have we have we let it slip off? What are your thoughts? I think that it's still a super hot topic, particularly from where we're working at Polytag. We're specialising in the single use packaging space and providing solutions for brands that want to know more about their packaging life cycles, particularly at the end of life. And we also allow them to unlock tools that will optimise and incentivise recycling. So from our perspective in that packaging space, sustainability is still a super hot topic. And it's been driven by two main factors. The first is legislation. It's not stopping. There's the plastic packaging tax there's extended producer responsibility, there's deposit return scheme, there's digital waste tracking, and that's just in the UK. You look further afield, next week there's the Global Plastics Treaty being debated in Nairobi, and there is a real focus around the world on how we can solve the the packaging and the plastics crisis that I think we all absolutely first became aware of perhaps when we were watching Blue Planet, but it's definitely not slackened off in terms of focus and attention because of that legislation. And the second reason we're seeing you know, a continued focus on this area is consumer pressure. Mm. And I think if you're an FMCG brand or retailer, you will be well aware that consumers are wanting brands to do more and do better and expecting that of them. And it definitely does influence purchasing choice. Excellent. So it's good that we're definitely still high up on the agenda. Now, thinking just in a slightly different angle around your roles at GS1 and now obviously at Polytag as well, you know, you've you've gained a huge amount of exposure, I would assume, around the whole supply chain. And this is one of the big opportunities for sustainability and recycling to really understand what is often referred to as the end to end but often hmm. perhaps we don't think about <laughs> the full ends, right? No, no, not at all. How, how important is it to really truly understand the whole supply chain? So I think we're all headed towards this utopia of circularity. That's what we, we talk hmm. about all the time. But I think circularity is particularly important for packaging. Okay. Because packaging, unlike products, does have a longer life attached to it, depending on how it's treated once the product's been consumed. Yep. So, you know, when I was working in retail, I mean, most of my career was spent in retail. We were obsessed with products. It was all about the yogurt. It was all about the pizza. It was all about, you know, the, the meat we were buying, et cetera. Yeah. And, and the packaging has a function of getting the product to the point yeah. of consumption, right? Whether that is Absolutely. a customer's home or whether that's the oven or whatever. That's, that was the pure purpose of packaging. But we never thought about packaging. No, there was not even information about your packaging composition available in you know, databases internally at various yes. businesses I worked at. Because everybody knew the ingredients of the product. Nobody had any idea quite what the packaging was made of. <laughs> uh, 
or, or you know, you, maybe you could get hold of that information, but it was quite tricky. It wasn't openly accessible. And, and furthermore, nobody knew how to handle packaging at end of life. And so, you know, going back to the point about circularity, you know, circularity isn't such a concern for product because, like, it gets eaten. Yep. <laughs> Sorted. The yogurt pot, the pizza box, the, you know, the, the uh, vacuum pack. Well, what happens to that once you've eaten the food? It, well, you show it away. <laughs> Where is away? Oh, God, nobody knows. It could go and get burned. It could be put in landfill. If you're lucky, it might hit a recycling centre. But literally, the bin is the end. Or of our understanding of what happens with packaging, mm. or at least it has been until Polytag arrived. Yeah. <laughs> and Polytag has, uh, you know, been developed to unlock information about packaging life cycles at end of life for those brands that are interested to know it, that want to know it. And in fact, in many cases now with legislation, they need to know it. And so as we sort of try and move towards this idea of circularity, the first step is getting data and insights on what happens to packaging at end of life. And that data can then be used to inform strategic decision-making and investment decisions in many cases to, to manage that packaging well and to take us closer to achieving packaging circularity. So getting visibility about the end after consumption and how you can then begin to loop that back around to form that circular path that connects the dots, but also can provide a ton of benefit for the planet and for the business as well, right? It can form a great revenue stream. And obviously, if you've got suitable inbound flow of relevant materials, that might be might be helpful to avert costs as well, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mentioned the plastic packaging tax a moment ago. The plastic packaging tax, for those of you that don't know, if you put packaging onto the market that has less than 30% recycled content, at the moment, you're charged £200 a tonne like a tax. And I think that's only going to go one way. You know, it's going to become more and more of an issue. And being able to get your hands on good quality recycled PET or plastic is an increasing issue for a number of brands that use plastic in their products and their packaging. Mm. So yeah, there's a real financial driver for brands that, you know, want to get their packaging back. And, you know, true circularity would be that, right? True circularity would be brand X's bottle is put into a recycling bin and then they get that exact same bottle back with the same rheology and they understand then how it can be used to make a new bottle for brand X. Yep. That's true circularity. I mean, we're a long way away from that, but that should be the aspiration. Yeah, no, and I think that's that's important to begin to understand where do we want to go to, right? Because it is a, a big transformation from that classic one-way route for, for, for packaging and for materials to like you say, burning or mm. landfill, whatever, through to actually how do you how do you create this circular loop? Yeah, I mean that that sorry, that that linear point though is really interesting because we often say take make waste when we talk about that linear mm. process for packaging. And transitioning towards circularity is only really gonna happen, let's be honest, if it makes financial sense. And that means, you know, you have to apply some measure of value to your packaging. And I guess that's partly what the plastic packaging tax is trying to do, trying to apply a value to, to the waste. But it, it does give rise to some quite interesting philosophical thoughts about if the yogurt pot you throw in the bin has a value, 
How is that value accounted for? Where is it accounted for? Are we looking at potentially needing to redesign how balance sheets manage packaging value? Because up until now, all packagings are sunk cost. It's just written off. It's just the price you have to pay to get your product to market and and get it sold to consumers. But, you know, yeah, if, if all packaging has a value, and I think it probably does need to have a value somehow if, if we're going to enable this transition, as you say, from linear to circular, then yeah, there is some sort of broader economic and philosophical thoughts that then arise about how, how you account for that value, yeah. who owns it, who has that value. Is it me with an empty load of empty containers in my home recycling bin? Do I, do I have that yeah. value? Is it the local council? I mean, and then when it's bailed and and sold on for recycling, you know, how does the brand that originally put that packaging onto the market somehow claim some of that value? Yeah, it's a really interesting thought because it's a, it's a temporary asset that you could have yes. working capital tied up in. Sure, it doesn't have a necessarily a, a full multi-year lifespan, but I suppose depend, depending on the purity of the material, it, it absolutely could. It really reminds me, actually, of thinking about how does the pallet supply chain work, right? Where any given mm. pallet may be used multiple times and sold and transferred between different companies. And it's, you know, it's I suppose it's thinking about how do we create this circular loop of, of a useful resource. Exactly, yeah. We've touched on legislation and the tax a few times. One of the really interesting initiatives that has been, I suppose, in test and trial is that of the deposit return scheme. And I know there's various schemes in use and in trial around the world. Help bring us up to speed. What are we talking about when it comes to the deposit return scheme and what's good or not good about it? Yeah, deposit return scheme is actually a concept that's been in play for a long time on the continent and also in the Nordic regions. And essentially, it's designed to encourage people to recycle single-use packaging by applying a deposit at point of sale, which the consumer can then claim back if they recycle the packaging in reverse vending machines. And these reverse vending machines are traditionally positioned outside retail stores, where there's like a lot of high footfall traffic and it's convenient for consumers to stand and push their in-scope containers back into this machine in order to then receive a sort of printout their deposit value. So that that's typically how deposit return schemes have worked and been super successful, particularly in the countries like Germany, as I said, and Sweden, mm. but driving higher recycling rates and having a lot of good quality recycled material collected. Yep. So that makes sense. And you know, consumer consumers are taking part because there is that opportunity to get relatively small amounts of money. But, you know, when you when you bring an entire bag of plastic bottles and packets, etc., then suddenly it mounts up, right? Absolutely, yeah. So it's, it's the money they, they're owed, essentially. They pay for it at the checkout and they get it back if they re- recycle it correctly. So people have got skin in the game. Yeah, exactly. It's been super successful. And there is this, I think it's, a European-wide agreement that by 2029, deposit return schemes will be operating across most countries in, in the EU. And so we've started to see some countries come online. Slovakia quite recently introduced a deposit return scheme, and they also used reverse vending machines as their return method. 
And there are a number of other countries coming online this year. And so they will also be installing reverse vending machines across their regions to allow consumers to claim their deposits back and to improve their recycling rates. Here in the UK, we have had quite a tumultuous relationship <laughs> with the idea of the deposit return scheme. And you, you know, some of the listeners might recall what happened in Scotland earlier this year. Scotland was due to launch a deposit return scheme by August this year. So a couple of months back, we were supposed to be live with a deposit return scheme in Scotland. But a number of reasons that ended up spectacularly imploding. And the rest of the four nations are now aligning to go live with Scotland, obviously included by August 2025 with a a UK-wide deposit return scheme. Mm. The the legislation is being drafted and we're now just waiting for a little bit of the detail around the mechanics that would, would enable consumers to claim their deposits back because there is an opportunity with advances in mobile technology for us to introduce more of a hybrid deposit return scheme that would see consumers offer the choice to go to a reverse vending machine if they so wish, but equally to continue using their curbside recycling bins and use an app to claim their deposit back digitally instead. And so that's where we're at at the moment with the uh, with the situation in the UK. We're just we're just waiting to see whether there will be the opportunity to give consumers the choice of reverse vending machine and digital. Or if indeed we will set ourselves down a track of reverse vending machine only, which is what, as I said, many other countries in Europe have elected to do. Yeah, it's a huge investment, right, in just physical machinery if you go down that avenue, particularly given the large percentage of the population have got smartphones and, and smart devices, right, that you could, could use for that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's often sort of compared to what's happened with ATMs. Do people really do their banking in banks and through ATMs nowadays? No, most people bank on their mobile phones. But, you know, you make a good point there. These these machines are big and they have some related issues, and not least of all the fact that they sometimes break and need servicing, yep. and that's a burden on the retailer outlets that have them positioned outside their shops. Mm. But they're also very, very carbon intensive to manufacture. Scotland was forecasted to need up to 10,000 of these machines. Wow. So, you know, that's a lot of metal. It's a lot of carbon for what ironically is supposed to be a sustainability initiative. And that's (laughs) what you need. It's hard to think about, you know, the new logistics network. You know, we've we've got to set up logistics network to empty them. Consumers possibly driving to use them with their bottles in the boot of their car. You know, so, so it is a carbon intensive solution going through a reverse vending machine network only. And then there are additional complications around the fact that in the UK, we have a very well-established, okay, admittedly not optimised, but well-established curbside recycling system in place Mm. that has been used for many, many years successfully to collect recycled material at curbside. And consequently, what that's delivered for local councils is as a revenue stream uh, and, you know, becoming increasingly more valuable as well, because as they collect and sort and bail the material, they're able to sell that back to the market. Yep. And so, you know, there is also this position that by introducing a reverse vending machine network, you deny the local councils all that high quality material at curbside 
And it's it sometimes is described as like a destruction of council revenues by stealth right. because, you know, we're moving high quality material from the council ownership into reverse vending machines. So it's, it's fraught with complications. And, you know, those countries in Europe that have successfully implemented a reverse vending machine only model don't don't have well-established curbside recycling. Right. And I think that is a particular issue that, you know, we're in, in the UK, we've been grappling with, you know, do, do we just like ignore the fact that we have actually got a pretty well-established, well-functioning curbside recycling system in place and, and just bulldoze in, you know, thousands upon thousands of these machines mm. and undo everything that we've established in the UK? Or do we try and find a, a sort of gentler, more hybrid solution? Yeah, it's certainly loads of different factors to consider. And just, to, you know, it's, it's a small glimpse into why this topic creates so much emotion, even though everyone is still wanting the same ultimate end goal, right? Everyone is striving for this circular model that no one wants to see yeah. that plastic bottle ending in a landfill or going into to be burnt or whatever. So it's it's interesting how different opinions and different approaches always always create such conflict, usually. <laughs> yeah. I know, it's a shame, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, let's let's just go back a few minutes to thinking about how we can do this in a slightly different way, though. And perhaps why don't you tell us a bit more about what you've been doing with Polytag by working with retailers like Aldi and Ocado? Yes, I'd love to talk about that. We're really proud of what we've done at Polytag and very grateful for all of the brands that work with us so far. They're brilliant clients to have. So you just mentioned Ocado there and uh, Aldi. We also work with the co-op and a number of more innovative scale-up brands like One Water, for example, mm. that supply into Starbucks. So, yeah, you know, these brands are, as I said at the, at the beginning, you know, they're conscious that packaging needs to be managed. They need to make more strategic decisions about you know, how that packaging is handled at end of life. And they also want to incentivize consumers to do the right thing. And that's why they've chosen to work with Polytag, because we can provide them that data that can then inform these decisions. Mm. It's a two-tag solution that we offer bands. The first one is a unique every-time QR code, and it's a GS1-compliant QR code, and that means that it contains the barcode number of the product. But the unique every-time bit means that it also contains a serial number. And so every single instance of packaging can be uniquely identified. And it's that unique identifier which, in the context of digital deposit return schemes, becomes important because it offers a risk-free way of issuing cash deposits effectively and knowing that it is a one-time claim. That, that, that unique code can have a 20 pence redeemed against it once and it can't be claimed again. So you, you don't suffer the risk of, of fraud. Yeah. But... The QR code itself has a number of other benefits, which has proved interesting for our clients. The first benefit is that you can host a landing page for that product barcode. Okay. And rather than being constrained by what you can print on a label, you now have this option for an effectively an endless digital label. And we've got a really easy to use drag and drop landing page builder tool that can be fully customized to meet the brand's requirements and can be updated as many times as they want, anytime they want. And it is being used by brands such as Ocado to talk about their sustainability initiatives, to talk about ingredients, 
in the products, to give updates on you know recipes, to launch competitions, to talk more fully about what their accreditations might mean. They're not limited to a little red tractor symbol or a, a B Corp yeah. logo. You know, they can really go to town and talk directly to consumers from the side of their pack about the things that matter to their brand. So, you know, that that's proved really popular. So as, as a consumer, I can go on and I can discover more about any given product, right? Discover, like you say, yeah. you know, ideas like recipes, perhaps exploring other products in the range, you know, yes. cross-selling opportunities of this product goes well with dot, dot, dot. And yeah, there's, there's lo- loads of opportunities. Plus then thinking about here's how to recycle this product, here's mm-hmm. allergens and sort of perhaps more detailed traceability information if a particular consumer wants to go in that deep. Exactly. Yeah, it's literally limitless. You know, they can put on this landing page at product barcode level, whatever they need, whatever they want the consumer to be aware of. And I think, you know, d- just taking a sidestep for a moment, QR codes are everywhere. Yes. <laughs> we sort of like got QR code fatigue. And sometimes when I talk about, you know, Polytag generating this this QR code solution for brands, people like visibly roll their eyes. <laughs> 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 One pandemic later, you know, we all know what to do with yes. QR codes, but they are, you know, a little bit too ubiquitous. But you know, the issue with QR codes at the moment is that they just take you to a generic website, yep, most of the time, and and that information is, as most cases, pointless, useless, right? But with the Polytag solution, as I said, you you can create a learning page per barcode. And so then you're getting to the point where the information you can share directly with consumers is hyper relevant because it is speaking to the product they are holding in their hand at the mm-hmm. time. And, and so, you know, we've got a little bit of a re-education to do around consumer expectations when they engage with the QR code, because I think most of the population don't bother these days because they just think, oh, it's just a generic website I'm going to get taken to. Yeah. This is the next level of opportunity that brands can unlock with Polytag. Yeah, interesting. The last thing just worth saying about the QR code format is that it can also be used to do price lookup at checkout. Most checkouts are not uh, set up to scan QR codes for price lookup yet. But yes, one who is the standards agency behind the barcode have forecast that by 2027, most barcodes will actually be QR codes. And in order for that QR code to scan at checkout and do price lookup, you need to have it contain the barcode number of the product. Yep. And that's what our solution does automatically for brands where you're generating GS1 compliant QR codes that contain their product barcode number. And so it's all done really effortlessly and with great ease so that brands can be assured that they're getting a GS1 compliant QR code that will scan at checkout in the future. Fantastic. Fantastic. And, you know, it's it's great to see the evolution of the humble barcode, which has been around for around about... 50, 50 50, 55 years or so now, I think. And yeah, brilliant to see how this is evolving. And just in just a few years, it will have delivered the majority of its value, but evolving into into the next evolution for sure. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, And unlocking tons of data and opportunities with that, just as the first iteration did back in the 70s. 100%, yeah. So much data can be captured with that QR code now. And just explore that data point for me, Alice, for for a moment. Give us a glimpse, hint at what we could do here. So over the summer with Ocado, 
we partnered with a recycling app called Bauer. And if listeners are interested in checking out Bauer, you can type in getbauer.com. They're a Nordic-based recycling app. And what they offer is the opportunity to collect points when consumers have registered their home recycling bin in the app and a GPS location has been captured. And when a consumer is then scanning stripey barcodes into their bin, they can be rewarded for recycling. And we were approached by Bauer because they saw that we were providing unique every time QR codes on Ocado Mm. products. And they knew that that could enable them to deliver more generous risk-free rewards for recycling. Mm. Because Bauer's biggest problem up until Polytag was they had no idea if a consumer using their app was scanning one barcode 20 times or if they actually had 20 pieces of, yep. of that barcode packaging. And so they'd have to limit the number of rewards they were able to pay to one barcode yep. per day. So they approached us and said, look, you know, there's a real opportunity here. Can, can we jump on board? And Really, they were great to work with. And between Ocado, Polytag and Bauer, we were able to launch this very exciting proposition early July. And we ended up paying out 20,000 20 pence rewards through the Bauer app when somebody recycled an Ocado milk container in their home recycling bin. Wow. In in just 55 days. So, you know, we, we burned through those 20,000 yep. 20 pences very, very quickly. Well, it shows, shows the consumer demand, right? To say, actually, you know what? I'm willing to engage in this small activity, gain those little yes. rewards. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. He hit the nail on the head. We had no idea how quickly we were going to burn through 20,000 20 pences. <laughs> but I think it exceeded everybody's expectations. The speed at which consumers, you know, were, were willing to and had an appetite to be rewarded mm. for recycling. And, and what that gave Ocado was just the most unbelievable data set. Because every bin is GPS located, they could see where 20,000 of their milk containers were disposed of. And I guess by default, where it was consumed. Yeah. Right? And that's interesting because Ocado, operating obviously online, you'd think, actually, I'm delivering this milk container to this address, this building, this person you'd think you'd have good data source already, right? You would, except what was fascinating was a car they don't deliver to North Wales. And we had some claims appearing at GPS locations in North Wales because we could only assume people buy a car shopping and take it on holiday with them. Yep. <laughs> and there's really small little insights like that that you know, they, they had no other way of gathering other than through this engagement with the Bauer recycling app. So you begin to understand more about how your customers are, are are using and interacting with the product. I can even imagine how long, you know, how long does that bottle stay in the cupboard for before consumption? Is it, you know, is it used every week? And then yeah. you suddenly get to think about where do we go with this in the future? And actually, how can I begin to blend this into auto replenishment of particular products? And yeah, yeah. Head, head exploding moment, yeah. right? <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, there's just unbelievable amount of opportunities. And because it is a GS1 compliant QR code, there's no limit to the range of apps that could interact with that code. You know, you, you, there's sort of really exciting prospect that these QR codes, once they're out on pack, in the same way as Stripey barcodes are, you know, they can be leveraged and utilized in all sorts of different ways. You know, if there's a an app for like Celiac Society, mm-hmm. 
And the celiac society is able to say, scan the QR code. We know what barcode number it is. We can give you information about whether this product is suitable for you. You know, everything from that all the way through to more perhaps exciting loyalty and rewards aspect that can be unlocked with these QR codes. Yeah, it's absolutely massive. Exciting times for what started as, <laughs> as a sustainability initiative, but actually could could be yeah. so much more in terms of data, in terms of customer engagement brand reputation, huge opportunities. It is massive. And do you know what? I think actually that's something that's quite important to reflect on. Sustainability teams, unfortunately, are often seen as a cost centre. And the same thing goes for packaging. It's also a cost centre. But if you apply Polytag, they can transform the sustainability team into a value driver. And they can also transform packaging and labels into a value driver as well, because there is absolutely an ROI that can be attached to engagement at product level through mobile phones and Mm. pages. And there's absolutely an ROI that can be attached to driving footfall back to store through vouchers and loyalty points and rewards that can also increase basket spend, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, it's been transformative, you know, that aspect uh, in terms of us being able to have meaningful conversations and and engage with you know these big brands because because they get it It, sustainability doesn't need to be a cost center it could be a value driver if you use the right tools that's fantastic i always like to think of retail as a series of circular loops and i think this is certainly one of those initiatives that from a customer point of view it doesn't just stop at right, you've made the purchase, you can actually continue to develop the brand, continue to develop the customer relationship, the engagement through that whole loop until the next purchase as well, thus promoting loyalty, recommendations, all that good stuff that we know drives huge future value. Alice, thank you so much. This has been a a fascinating conversation. I'm intrigued to ask, how can people find out more? How can they get in touch? What's best for them to do next? Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate you having me on the show. We've got a great website, polytag.io. So if anybody would like to find out more, please do visit the website and they can also explore our second tag format, which is an invisible tag format on that website as well, that allows them to uh, trace packaging, plastic packaging into recycling centres so they can get the next step of Mm. that packaging lifecycle captured through that tag. Definitely worth exploring that, everyone. I, I, I have to say, when I first came across Invisible Barcode, what are we talking about? <laughs> but when you start to understand how and what it can do is uh, is really fascinating. So, yeah, please do visit our website. And and then I'm also, I would love to hear from people if they wanted to email me directly. I'm alice at polytag.io. And I'd be really delighted to give anybody interested in knowing more a demo of the platform and talking to them about some of our exclusive offers, particularly smaller brands. We've got really cool offers that are going on at the moment, six months free access. We're also really keen to speak to larger brands and do sort of introductory phased trials with them. So, you know, really would love to hear from anybody that wants to find out more and i'm sure we can find a way of working together because there are so many possibilities to unlock wonderful and and that website address again alice is polytag.io perfect well thank you so much for joining me here on the retail transformation show it's been an absolute blast thanks oliver So 
some really interesting insights and innovations there. So thank you to Alice Rackley from Polytag. I do hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Right now, I'd like you to head on over to the show notes page at obandco.uk slash 268. You'll find some suggested episodes to check out next about sustainability and about the circular economy. Plus, there are loads of other fantastic episodes from the podcast archives of the Retail Transformation Show. So do take a browse and enjoy the next episode that you listen to. Please do subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcast app. And I'll look forward to joining you in another episode of the Retail Transformation Show very, very soon. Bye for now.